You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Welcome to another edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. On this episode, I sit down with Blaze TV and radio's midday host, Steve Dace. Steve has lived a remarkable life that has taken him from getting kicked out of college to being a sports writer for a newspaper to a national news talk personality who is on the cusp of making his mark on the big screen as well. Steve's a comic book junkie and a long-suffering Detroit sports fan, too. He sat down to discuss all of this and much, much more on this edition of At The Mic. Steve, thanks so much for making time, man. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. I love. I always love coming down here. I should do it more often, and thanks for inviting me to do this. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Steve is the host of the Steve Dace program that comes on at 12 noon Eastern on Blaze TV. Please check it out if you haven't yet. I love listening to it. I love it when you get on a rant, man. I love Angry Steve. Then you love it most days because that, that happens, <laughs> particularly right given what's going on right now, it's uh, happening almost daily that's right, right now. Yeah. That's right. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. You were born in Des Moines, Iowa, mm-hmm. and you have a very unique story in that you were born to a single mom, 15 years old. I love the story. Tell me about your mom, please. Well, my mom was um, uh, 14, a high school freshman dating a high school senior in Des Moines from a prominent family and found out over Christmas break of 1972 that uh, she was pregnant. And her birthday was going to be the following January when she turned 15 on January 13th. Wow. And she wasn't really sure what to do. Um, She, uh, several of her friends had had uh, quote unquote back alley abortions and she just couldn't see herself doing that. Mm Mm-hmm. But she also came from a home where her mom, uh, my grandmother, was a single mom, twice divorced, with five children on her own, which is a pretty tough life in 1972. Right. And uh, my biological father, his family was pretty prominent in Des Moines. His dad was a judge in town. His uncle was on the city council. And his brother had actually gotten, his older brother had gotten a girl pregnant a couple of years before Mm. and ended up marrying that girl. And... Now my biological grandfather was like, he literally said this, I'm not going to have another white trash girl marry into my family. Mm. And so he paid my grandmother $500 to go away, which was, I'm guessing was probably, you know, either a going away gift or maybe about what it costs to go see a back alley abortionist. Maybe, I don't know. And then um, January 24th comes and the Supreme Court hands down Roe versus Wade. And now my mom... Thought she had kind of already made the decision not to do this, but now, you know, it can be safe and legal now, right? Yeah. And now she's not sure what to do, but she just, she'll tell you today, she just could not envision walking in there and killing her baby. So she decides she's going to keep the baby. And on July 28th, 1973 at 1159 a.m., she went into labor at uh, Iowa Lutheran Hospital at 15 years old and gave birth to me. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. And you had a rough childhood, did you not? I mean, you, you, you had to live off of food stamps. We were on food stamps when I was a kid. I remember government cheese, which, by the way, isn't that bad. Okay. Okay. I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend making it a staple of a diet, uh-huh. okay? But you could do worse. But I remember being on reduced lunches when I was a kid. My mom, when I was, when I was uh, two, ended up meeting a Navy sailor named Dave Dace, who was on shore leave. And her and my grandmother were running a hotel across the street from Disneyland and, and California. They decided to move out of Iowa and move there and, you know, see if, uh, you know, California kind of the land of opportunity. And mm-hmm. 
my grandmother got a job managing a hotel across the street from Disneyland and hired my mom to work for her. And some uh, Navy s- uh, sailors came up to go to Disneyland from San Diego uh, on their shore leave. And one of them was a guy named Dave Dace. And he took a shine to my mom. <laughs> and they dated, I think, for two weeks and then put me in the back of the car and went to Vegas and got married. Wow. And that's where my last name comes <laughs> right. from. Right. I see. And um, Dave struggled getting out of the Navy. Uh, he, his specialty was kind of construction and that kind of stuff. And the economy was not good in the 70s, mm-hmm. in the late 70s. Um, so... I mean, I remember being on reduced lunches at school and ADC and food stamps and all that stuff. And then the, when the economy kicked in, in the 80s, the construction industry was a big time boom. And he start, we, we would move to Florida when the construction industry was going well there, back to Michigan, et cetera. We moved a lot uh, when I was at that, at that age. I probably went to 11 different schools. K- I was going to say, this has got to be tough growing up, moving around like this. Yeah. yeah, it was and it wasn't. I mean, it was tough at the time. But you could also like almost reinvent yourself. Huh. Like if you if you were getting bullied at a school right. or if you had, uh, you know, uh, uh, upset a bunch of friends, I could almost create a new <laughs> persona at the next school and kind of start over. Uh-huh. But it it also, you know, I didn't have a lot of normalcy. Yeah. Um but I can look back on that now and see that it kind of prepared me to do what I'm doing now. Right. Um the if you do the sh- the show the way that I do it, and I'm not always Mr. Likeable. I have to acknowledge that. Um, <laughs> you are going to have to figure out how to do this without getting a whole lot of um, a whole lot of affirmation at times. Right. Um, and so the way I was raised, the moving and then the abuse that went on in our homes in our home at times. It, it at the time as a kid, I'm like, you know, what did I do to deserve this? I don't understand. But you know, it's like what Joseph says in the Bible. Hey, to his brothers, hey, what you meant for evil, God used for good. If you had not sold me off into slavery, I would now not be here years later to save this, to save our family and our people from the famine. Yeah. And all of those things I experienced growing up prepared me for what I was going to do as an adult, which was essentially be a professional contrarian and BS caller. Yeah, that's essentially what I am. <laughs> that made you what you are today. Yeah, for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. You said you spent your um, formative years uh, growing up in Michigan, right? Mm-hmm. So once you became like My a teenage, a years, teenage years, we finally settled down there after we moved around. I mean, I've lived in New York. I lived in Houston. I lived in California two different times. I lived in Florida for a few years. I lived in Iowa numerous times. My teenage years, the economy in Michigan really began to rebound in the late 80s. Uh-huh. Uh, in early 90s and so and that's where Dave actually was from his family was from Michigan okay so he kind of wanted to be back there and the economy was going well enough now that he could make a good living working construction there and so we settled in there uh, when I was in the seventh grade and except for one year when my mom got homesick and we moved it we just suddenly in the middle of my high school tenure moved to Iowa back to Iowa for a year oh. and then we went right back to Michigan and I went and finished my high school at the same high school I was at before. Oh, wow. So uh, I spent most of those teenage years in Michigan, and that's why I'm a big you know, Michigan sports fan and stuff like that. Sure, sure. And you had a brother you grew up with. Are you guys close or? Um, not really. I mean, we're not like enemies or frenemies. It's right. just we have a lot different. We don't really have much in common. Um, you know, I'm more analytical, theological, philosophical. He's more like Dave. Um I mean, he's he's a he's a master with his hands. He can build you anything, fix you anything. So we just kind of run in different circles. You know, we see each other a few times every now and then, but um, we just don't run in a lot of the same circles. But there's not like a built-in animosity. Sure. There's just not much in common. Understood. Yeah. 
I find it interesting your story of uh, attending college. I know you're a huge Michigan fan, mm-hmm. but tell us about where you actually went to school. I actually went to Michigan State. <laughs> I, I couldn't get into Michigan. How does that happen? Uh, well, I, I couldn't get into Michigan because... Is it the ACT that's three parts, right? Reading, science, and math, I want to say. It because I took the SAT, and that's two parts, and okay. I was terrible at both of them. I, I, I think, I, if I remember right, I aced the reading and science. Okay. And then I basically failed the math. I, I am, which is kind of odd, because w- one of the things I am the best at in this line of work is, is data analysis. Uh-huh. You know, like, one of the things I just recently did is I was one of the first people to stand up there and question the algorithm of Imperial College and call it out. There you go. And its assumptions. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how to build an algorithm. Okay. I I don't know how to build one. I don't know how to, I don't know how to provide mathematical based data, but I do know how to spot BS, (laughs) particularly when your assumptions start with a, with a dramatic worldview bias. Because once we start with a worldview bias, Keith, we're not doing math. Mm -hmm. We're doing propaganda. All right. And I can, I can spot the propaganda. But I'm not very good at math, and I failed the math portion of the ACT. So despite the fact that I, was a, I had a great grade point average, Michigan would not let me in. My ACT score was too low. Mm. And so they told me to go to JUCO for a year and raise my math grade. And then by the time that happened, I just there were so many hotter chicks that went to Michigan State that I decided to go there. I see. And, and some of my friends from high school were also going there, and it was the better party school, to be brutally honest. <laughs> And then I, I also had no problem. I just rooted for Michigan the whole time I was there. Huh. Like on my dorm door, I lived in Wonders Hall. And on my dorm door, I had a, one year I had a, like a life-size poster of Chris Weber because the Fab Five were playing at Michigan back then. Yeah. I, I mean, I would go sit in the student section at Breslin when Michigan came in and I'd root for Michigan. Now, the only time I really feared for myself is <laughs> one year when the Fab Five were there and the, and the student section at Breslin Center was brutal to the Fab Five and brutal on Jalen Rose. Uh-huh. And after the game, when Michigan won, Rose and Jimmy King and Chris Weber pulled their shorts down. They were wearing, you know, like um, uh, clingers under the shorts. So they, was, yeah. they, they, they weren't mooning the crowd. Uh-huh. But they pulled their shorts down and then squatted down to make it look like they were taking a dump on the Spartan S at center court. Oh, no. And that's why I, 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 that, I do remember kind of doing the Homer Simpson gif where you kind of back away into the bushes. Because I'm sitting there wearing <laughs> oh, a Michigan no. shirt in the Michigan State oh, student no. section. And when that went down, I thought, I might not get out of here alive. There might be a riot. But other than that, you know, if Michigan beat Michigan State in football, I'd blare the Michigan fight song in the in, 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 for my dorm room. Wow. I don't mind. I guess I've just never my minded being goodness. the contrarian. Oh. I've just never been much of a joiner, you know? Obviously. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's, that's very interesting. Okay. And like you, I just... I was terrible at math. I, I, I think that's how most of us ended up in broadcasting. Uh, <laughs> terrible because, at math is yeah. the first qualification. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the year I entered uh, University of Nebraska, all this stuff changed the next year. Mm-hmm. Okay, I had to take no math, two years instead of four years of a foreign language. So I stuck with Spanish, which I had been taking in high school. And uh, I didn't have to be a resident of the state to get in-state tuition. I just could do that because uh, my parents already lived there. Mm-hmm. So it worked out nicely for me. I'm not a math guy, and, you know... Well, I wasn't much of a student guy. I don't have a degree from there. Let's just say I took to campus life too well. <laughs> I lived on the only co-ed dorm floor mm-hmm. on the entire campus. See, that's dangerous. That was... that. Well, I look back on it now and see it as dangerous. I had a different word for it <laughs> back in the day. I bet. And my final semester, I didn't go to a single class. Mm-hmm. I just didn't feel like it. Super Tech Mobile had come out, and it was the first time a game would let you keep this the with, that had the license of the actual players and and the stats that you accumulated in the games. 
nice. were kept in real time. That was nice. the first game that ever did that. <laughs> and so I literally played every game of the NFL season with all, all uh, with all the players. I play. I mean, I would sit. I'd, my, you know, my roommate would get up and go to class. I'd get up, go down and get breakfast. Where, you know, I, I my daily goal was to see if I could eat an entire box of Lucky Charms with chocolate milk for breakfast almost every day. And you did it, huh? And I did it. Good yeah. Job. And uh, um, I'm paying for it now. <laughs> but and then I'd come. I'd come back to my dorm. I'd play a few hours of Super Tech Mobile, listening to some music. <laughs> and then I'd justify it by going. I, you know, I, I I played a lot of sports growing up. And so I'd go play basketball at the IM for several hours. Mm-hmm. And then by the time I'd get done, my buddies and stuff would be coming back from class. So I'd go home, shower up, and we'd go off to dinner, usually come back, watch some Beavis and Butthead or yeah. Batman the Animated Series. Right. And that was what I did for an entire semester. And then one day there was a piece of registered mail that showed up in my mail slot oh, no. that said, you have not intended a single class, you are expelled. Oh. But the thing was, you had to sign for the registered mail to acknowledge that you got it. And so what I would do is I would not check my mail or walk by the front desk where the mail slot was at Wonder Hall, Wonders Hall during school hours when the RAs and stuff were manning the booth because if they saw you did not pick up a register, they'd, they'd force you to take it and sign for it. Oh. And so I actually ended up lasting the final two weeks of the semester simply by staggering the times in which I would come back and, and check my mail and walk through the hallway and come into the back door. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, that is well, awesome. it's, it's except for the student loan bills that I'm I'm, I'm still paying to get no uh, education whatsoever. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you. Yeah, because see, I I was I was making a parallel with me, whereas I knew I was terrible at math, and I knew that I loved radio, and I knew that I didn't have to know math to be in radio. Right. So when you were going to school, were you going as a major in broadcasting? No. Or, so what were you no, doing? No, I was looking at probably law. Okay. Um and as a means to an end, not so much to practice it, but as a means to an end to probably run for office and get into politics. Oh, wow. I'd been, I was very active with, you know, in high school with college and with local Republican party politics and then with college Republicans. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I was a complete and total ditto head. I mean, this is a very interesting duality. On one hand, I'm a complete and total gen X Ethan Hawk reality bites like slacker. Just, I never chain smoked. But I did pretty much everything else he did. But on the other hand, I was a total ditto head interested in getting involved in right-wing politics. And you and I have <laughs> a very similar childhood. It's a, so, so a lot of my friends were like stoners on campus and stuff, you know? And so like I, we'd sit around, watch Dark Side of the Moon, and then I'd get called a fascist and a Nazi every time politics came up, you know? Um, and so it was an interesting duality to kind of um, my personality at that time. And you actually, at some point, wanted to be a sports writer, right? I did, and so um, when I when they when I flunked out of school, I got involved with. Um, I started working. Uh, my parents were like, "Dude, you're a grown man. You cannot move back home. So mm-hmm. go. You got to get a job and get a place to live." And I rented out a guy's basement that he was renting out in town in Grand Rapids, and uh, I got to a job working at Manpower. I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life. I just thought that. It would be a nice variety of jobs. It was a variety, mm-hmm. but it wasn't a nice one. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I did some, I mean, I worked with loggers. It was just, it was odd. I mean, these were just a series of odd jobs. And um, um, I got involved with sports gambling. A buddy of mine from high school had a bookie, and I was really good at it at Michigan State. I, I would, um, I didn't have to get a part-time job on campus because 
Um, I would play parlays with the bookie on campus and win enough that that would be a lot of my spending. I mean, there was no online gambling. Yep. I mean, you had to know somebody. And so I, I got one of my best friends from high school had a bookie when I got out of when I got flunked out of school. And so I started playing with him. And I mean, I was winning pretty consistently. And then, but there's a reason why they say the house always wins. Yeah. Okay. And it was the, I don't, I don't remember who won the game. It was the 1994 Oklahoma, Texas game. I don't remember who won. I just remember it wasn't the side that I bet on. Mm. And I, I actually was going to bet the other side. And then I was watching one of these uh, tout shows on TV. And the guy that was on TV was a guy named Jim Feist was his name. Yes. You've heard that name? I used to get stuff in the mail, call his recorded message. And, yes. You know, it was yep. in the back of magazines. It's kind of weird now because one of the guys that was on his show is uh, Wayne Allen Root. Oh, wow. I've known Wayne for years. Because we're like, we might be the only two people interested in right-wing conservative media and sports betting, all right? <laughs> and um, like last time I was in Vegas a few years ago, I had dinner with him. Uh-huh. Well, he was on this show at the time. This is what he did full-time at the time. And I don't think I've even told Wayne this story. So the, Jim Feist, his like guarantee yeah. was was the other side I was going to bet Led was going to cover. Block. Yes. <laughs> so I called the bookie. I called my buddy and said, hey, tell the bookie I'm changing my pick. I'm flipping it over. Oh, boy. Well, sure enough, that side lost. Yeah. And now I essentially put all of my winnings on this game, double or nothing, and I can't pay the debt. Oh, no. And I don't know what to do, so I did what every loser, 20-something, slacker, college dropout does. I called my grandmother, who lived in Des Moines, Iowa, who spoiled me rotten when I was younger as her first grandbaby. And I said, hey, I, I got to get out of here. Can I come live with you? And so that's how I ended up back in Iowa. Wow. Now, years later, after I had a spiritual conversion, I was really convicted that I stuck my buddy with that bill. Mm. And so I, I hadn't talked to him since that day. And I went and actually tracked him down. Wow. And figured out, you know, at a reasonable interest rate, what did I owe him after several years? And told him, I'm really sorry I did that. And um, I'm out of my tax refund, I'm, I'm paying you back that money with interest. And I'm like, I hope that guy didn't break your leg or anything like that. I don't know if that ever happened. But that's how I ended up back in Iowa. And I had I had no idea what I was going to do, but I, I loved reading Mitch Album when I was growing up, mm-hmm. the great Detroit Free Press sports writer. Sure. And Album got his start volunteering at his local newspaper. He, he literally walked in and said, I want to learn the, the trade and volunteered. And so I called Dave Whitkey, the sports editor at the Des Moines Register, I said, you don't know me. I did some freelance stuff for the state news at Michigan State. I could send you some samples. But, but I, I want to start at the bottom. I didn't really mean it. I just thought it was sounding like a good speech. <laughs> I want to start at the bottom, and I want to learn this like Mitch Album. And I mean, I'll swab the poop deck. I'll do whatever you want. So he had me come in for an interview. Thought I had some natural ability. Hired me at minimum wage as a news assistant. And that's how I got into the media business. Hmm. And after about a year, I was really upset that I was getting like no writing, like I was owed something. First of all, I'm the, I'm the least qualified person working here. But you don't think that way when you're 22, 23 years old. You think the world owes you something, you know? And so I'd finally bitched and moaned enough to get a writing assignment. And they finally gave me one. And it was to do a five, Iowa borders five states, Nebraska, Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Missouri. Mm-hmm. And it was to do a track and field analysis of how the athletes in these five states how they fare, how Iowa, how Iowa's track athletes stand up against these other states. Wow. And I told them, guys, where I come from, the only thing worse than track is field. I'm not, I'm, this is beneath me. I'm not doing it. Mm. You know? And so I didn't do it. 
It's like the legendary sports section for the Des Moines. They don't do it anymore because of cutbacks, but it was a big, giant peach. It was peach-colored, the sports oh, wow. section, on Sundays. Huh. And that was when the Hawkeye games and stuff would, from the day before would be in there. So I was the news assistant that was tasked with getting the sports, everything ready for the sports desk to come in and do the big peach that, that, that afternoon. So I had to come in early. But I never made it into work that day because earlier that morning I went off some, uh, to get uh, some breakfast at Hardee's for my buddies who had crashed at my place after we went out partying the night before. And I got, I had a car accident oh, and a guy almost killed me. I wasn't wearing my seatbelt and destroyed my car. It moved me from the, my, I ended up in the passenger seat yeah. holding the steering column. Oh my goodness. And um, so I never made it into work that day. And I'm sitting there in the hospital. I eventually got let out with just a, con- with a minor concussion. And I didn't like have some like spiritual epiphany. I kind of had a personal one though, which was, you know, I was voted most likely to succeed in high school. And I am a freaking loser. What am I doing with my life? You know, so I kind of committed myself to going back to the register and 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 actually giving them my all. And I, I had to, they didn't pay enough, so I had to get a full time job in the mailroom at Blue Cross Blue Shield. Mm-hmm. And so I'd go, I'd get up at seven a.m., go work the mailroom at Blue Cross Blue Shield. And this was like a this this was a wake up call. Like literally, somebody smacked me upside the head here. Okay, and so I got a job working at Blue Cross Blue Shield in the mailroom full time. I'd be there at seven a.m. The Des Moines Register was just across the street. So when, when I got out of there at 3.30, I would just go across the street and then work at the register until at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, I'm, they, they were cool keeping you employed, even though that assignment was Well, wasn't? what happened is, is about a year later, they, when I had finally, I, I, so I had finally really worked really hard. And they still hadn't given me another writing assignment. And I didn't blame them for it. But I decided I was going to take it upon myself. And so... Uh, the number one boys basketball team in the state, we had not done a feature on them yet. And they had several players. One of them was a seven-footer, Brant Harriman, that ended up going to Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And Dean Oliver, who played at Iowa, if you remember that name. And so I went up there, and, and Bob Horner, who his son Jeff went on to star at Iowa, was the coach. I went up there and, and, and told them I was a reporter from the Register here to cover. I'm new. Here to cover, do a feature on their team. I mean, I interviewed all the players. And, and I just I never told the Register I was doing this. Uh-huh. And I, I figured no one gets fired for taking initiative if they don't, if they w- don't want you around anymore. Mm-hmm. And I wrote the story, and I waited one night on a Saturday night as we were finishing the Sunday edition, and I waited for everybody to leave. And when everybody left, I filed the story in the, in the online filing system as if it was my own assignment. And then I thought, I'm just going to go home and see what happens. Monday morning comes around. I'm, I'm at the mailroom, slot in the mail at Blue Cross Blue Shield. <laughs> And a phone call comes from Larry Lamer. He's the deputy sports editor at the Des Moines Register. He says, you're going to get your ass over here. Right, when you, what time you get off work? I said, 3.30. He goes, you get your ass over here at 3.35. We're going to talk about what you try to pull here. Oh, oh, oh. So I, by this time, I had met my wife, my, my future wife, online. And we were talking about getting married. And so now I'm kind of like, well, now I know I don't have a future in media. So I guess I'll end up at Blue Cross and hopefully work my way up to claims adjuster one day. Because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to get fired when I get over here. Yeah. I get over there. He takes me into his office and he begins to berate me. And I'm, I'm, and I violated all their protocols. I misrepresented myself as a reporter, and I'm not. Which is that's all true. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, all right, I got to come up with some snotty thing to say before I walk off, <laughs> so that ten years ago or ten years from now, when I'm sitting with some buddies of mine in a bar after work, I can brag about the time I once told the Des Moines Register editor off, right? <laughs> and. And as I'm thinking this, after he berates me for a good five or ten minutes, he then looks at me and says, but your story is really good. 
<laughs> so we're going to run it on the front page of the sports section. And <laughs> nice. And that's how I got started in this business. And then, and then it was then that they told me they were going to fire me that day when I had the accident. And then when I came back two weeks later from the concussion with a neck brace and everything on, they just couldn't bring themselves to fire me. So that's what I was wondering. Those, those the soft-headed liberals in the Des Moines Register newsroom just their bleeding hearts wouldn't let them get rid of me when so, they probably should have. That is so great. I, I'm also curious as you're telling these awesome stories. How did your friend that you owed that money to? How did he take that that reunion of sorts when you came back with the money you owed him? Um, it was not a friendly conversation. Mm-hmm. It was frosty, uncomfortable. Don't blame him for it at all. Yeah. Totally on me. We never have spoken again, but he did cash the check. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Okay. So, my goodness. Um, you've already lived an interesting life, and you're at, where are we at uh, age-wise, uh, roughly speaking, here at the Des Moines So, Register. this would have been early 20s now. Okay. Early 20s. So, then then talk to me about some of these jobs then. I think I think these have already happened, or maybe you're about to get to them where you um, did some uh, statewide survey for Coca-Cola. That, uh, another, oh, that's back when I worked for Manpower in Michigan. Uh, so that's another yeah. thing you didn't do. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. One of the jobs Manpower <laughs> gave me is there's a, there was a team of us that were to go all over the state of Michigan. We were given regions and the, and, and the addresses and maps to where every portable Coca-Cola machine was in the state, every rest area, restaurant, okay. vending machine area, et cetera. And we were supposed to certify whether they were uniform in their pricing Right, whether the logos were up to date, uh-huh. and there was like a whole questionnaire sheet. I got you. And it was for a while. It was a really fun gig. I'd drive around, listen to the old. You remember the old sports fan radio network Absolutely. with Steve Zabin and Tony Bruno and those guys. Sure. You know, and I'd drive around and listen to that all day long, and it was kind of cool. <laughs> and then, and then it, the station would fade out, and you had to find another yes, affiliate. Yeah, yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. But then the OJ trial began, and I'm like, crap! I'd rather be watching this. Uh-oh. So I would be sitting in my in in this guy's basement that I mentioned I rented. Watching the OJ trial on CNN with Roger Cossack and uh, Greta uh, Van Sestren, I'd be watching that all day long, and I'd have the forms out. And since I since I had done it for several weeks, I kind of knew what the, and so I just randomly would. I knew if I just had the same answers to all of them, they would know I didn't do it. Wow. So I would like randomly sample. I guess I I was already doing polling. I would like randomly sample, you know, answers of of you know. With with enough variations and uh-huh. stuff, so that they would look like I had really <laughs> driven to these yeah. locations and did it. So tell us about the time you flunked the QT managerial <laughs> exam. <laughs> so now I'm 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 back in Iowa, and I need a full time job because the Des Moines Register doesn't pay enough to be a part time news assistant. Okay, and I'm thinking of working at the at Blue Cross Blue Shield in the mailroom, right? Because it's just right across the street. My cousin, who uh, Angela, who her and I, she was like my kid sister growing up. We were really close. Okay. She was a manager for a Quick Trip in Des Moines, and, and she was making like thirty, thirty-five grand a year as a single girl in her twenties in the nineteen nineties. That's a good living with no student loan debt or anything like that. So she's like, you know what, you should come and do this then instead. But you got to go and take the test. So I go to take the test, <laughs> and most of the test was. Mathematics. No, see, why does this happen to us? And uh, and all I could not remember how to add, subtract, multiply, and divide fractions. Oh. So you had to score, I think it was like 75 or 80% on the test. I missed every question with a fraction wow. and ended up failing the quick trip managerial exam. <laughs> My entire life would have been different. 
mm-hmm. if I had passed that exam. Right. I probably never meet my eventual wife. Um, I, I, I probably, I'm certainly not sitting here with you today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe I would have ended up staying at the register and work and becoming more of a full-time sports writer. Maybe, I don't know, but that face plant is ultimately what led to ev- how everything else ended up turning out differently for me. Wow. So it's kind of funny now, Keith, I, I mean, there are men that want to run for president of the United States who know they have to come to my backyard and deal with me in Iowa, <laughs> who I hear from, 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 I hear from my friends in DC and New York and stuff, boy, so-and-so is, is afraid of you. Doesn't want to come talk to you. Oh yeah. And I, and I, and I chuckle because I, and, and does he know he's t- that we're talking about a guy who <laughs> failed the quick trip managerial exam? That yeah. is so fun. <laughs> That's a great story, man. That, you're right. Our lives are just completely littered with these moments that it's it's almost like a, a choose-your-own-adventure story that just yeah. gets way out of phase. And I loved those books when I was a kid, but mm-hmm. I was always the kid that read to the I jumped to me the too, end man. to me see too. what the best answer was. Because <laughs> yeah. to me, if I, don't, I had to win. I, if, if, I have to win. That's, that's why. That's why I love the story of Kirk reprogramming the Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> Do not accept the no-win scenario. There is always a way to win. That yes. is so good. So you met your wife Amy, and I love because I sent out an email of questions before we do these sit downs, and uh, the the answer to this when I asked, "Are you married? Name a spouse?" You talked about Amy. Been married since 1997. Mm-hmm. And you met in a hookup chat room on the old dial-up AOL. Do tell. <laughs> yeah, it. Um, I don't know what it was called, Pagans and Heat Meat Market, but I don't know what they called it back then. Um, but, but, but that's what it was. And um, I mean that, that speaks for itself. Yeah, Next that's, question. <laughs> that, that's what it was. And if if you know that first time we hooked up, if you would have told me that it was it was this was going to end in. We were going to have three kids mm-hmm. and homeschool each of them. <laughs> I would have said, there's got to be another chick in this room to hook up with, right? <laughs> I, I just would have never in a million years guessed that it that ended up going the way that it ultimately did. And, and your kids range from ages 13 to 19. I love these names. Your oldest, Anastasia. Yeah. Amy's a big uh, Russian history buff. Okay. And so she always wanted to have a daughter named Anastasia. So I thought it was a great name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then we could call her Anna for short, like Anna the prophetess in the New Testament. Uh-huh. So um, Anna's 19. Um, is she going to school anywhere? She or? is exactly like me. Okay. It's kind of funny. Is I, that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it depends on what your on, opinion of me is. <laughs> no, I picked up some uh, yep. incomplete assignments and some... Uh, <laughs> it's funny, too, because um, she's, she's, she's even passively, aggressively rebelling the way I did. Like, in, at, at her age, I thought I could, like, hang out with my buddies and party and still have, like, these really conservative viewpoints and morals. Mm-hmm. And she's, like, <laughs> trying to do the same thing that I tried. Uh-oh. And then, and then, and then I, she's like, she can't believe I'm not, like, mad at her about it. And I'm like, sweetie, I know how this story is going to end. I tried doing what you're doing right now. <laughs> I, I know where you're going to be in a few years. I don't need to be mad. Wow. You're just going to have to learn some of these lessons on your own the way that I learned them, uh-huh. you know? But uh, she decided, she was an excellent student, but she couldn't really think of what she wanted to do in college and she wasn't eager to get student loan debt. Yeah. So she was originally going to take a gap year. Well, now she loved the store that she got a job with in our mall. It's called Ragstock. Are you, are you familiar with them? They no. do vintage like 80s clothing. Oh, that's cool. And they're a chain all over the country. 
and and she grew up around 80s music and 80s culture as my kid and so she loves all that stuff <laughs> and uh she got a job there and ended up loving it oh, and then yeah. they ended up making her like one of the youngest managers in her comp in their company that's awesome so she's 19 she actually just told me yesterday they might put her in charge of the other store in the other mall wow. in town too so she's 19 makes in a in, in mid 30s a year and has no student loan debt great and so now she's like i don't know that i ever need to go if i like doing this i mean and if they want to keep moving me up the chain i mean i could make serious money working in their corporate structure and never have any student loan debt she's so young so yeah. that's a great start yeah um zoe is um 14 right? 14 mm-hmm. and zoe i named zoe um, I was reading a uh, I was reading a theology book on a treadmill one day, and it it talked about what the word Zoe means. Oh, life from God. Okay, and I thought that was such a cool name, and so uh, Amy let me name Zoe, and I you know I used to say when the girls were little that Anna to Anna Princess is a nickname to Zoe. It is it's a it's a title. <laughs> I I spoiled once we had Noah. I really spoiled Zoe Rotten. Because I was really afraid of the middle child syndrome, so I went totally the other way. Oh wow! And we're kind of paying for it now. It's adorable. <laughs> it, she's pretty. She can be bratty, but it's in, in her own adorable way. Like, well, let me put it this way: I find it adorable. Uh-huh. I'm not sure how many other people in our house right now find it cute, but Uh-oh. I think almost anything Zoe does uh-huh. is adorable. That's fun. And so she knows that. Oh, she wait can, till she hears this. Yeah, she knows it already. She okay. knows if she bats her eyelashes at me, but Daddy, she knows. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, and then Noah is. Um, we named it. We just thought Noah was a really cool name, obviously, and named after the biblical character. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's the kind of cool kid's name, you know? Like, now I wanted to name him Damien. I thought Damien Day should be a cool name. But my oh. wife, after I made her watch The Omen with me once, one of oh, my all time no. favorite movies, said, You are absolutely not naming <laughs> There was no that. alliteration that was going to be yes. strong enough to carry yeah. that one. So I'm, I'm, I wanted to look for another boy's name that when you said it, it, when you said it, you knew that wasn't the kid that you were beating up after school, right? Damien Dace is not the kid you're beating up after school. Noah Dace sounded to me like the kid that you're not beating up after school. Okay, that works. Yeah. yeah. And I then guess. so and then the other part of his name, Andrew, comes from some dear friends of ours. Their youngest son, Andy, uh, died of cancer mm. when they were in our small group. I gotcha. And they're, our, they're Noah's godparents. And so we decided to add Andrew to his name to kind of honor. Yeah. That's great. So you do the video games that you uh, had trouble with back in, in college. You're still playing those whenever you get some downtime. Yeah, you know, it was kind of weird when I would when it was when the show was good. When they when they were really doing biting political commentary instead of turning it into fantastical depravity. But when I started watching the first season of House of Cards and when he would come home to wind down and fire up the PlayStation, that is so me. You know, and that um, whether, you know, this this time of year I'm playing MLB the show. I love that game, the baseball game. Mm-hmm. You know, Madden is a staple. I still have um, I, I still have my old PS3 and I saved my uh, a, my last copy of NCAA football. I used to be the guy that would go to the GameStop at midnight in July when when it came out. I, that's my all time favorite game because I'm a college football nut. Yeah. So there are still websites where you can go and, and people keep downloading the New Year's rosters with the old game. Oh, and so every that's how you get around that. Yeah, every July oh. I will I will go download that season's rosters and and play out a season like I used to when I was when the game was coming out, <laughs> you know. Great. And then that's Noah great. and I play you know episodic games a lot. Like we're playing t- the Shadow of the Tomb Raider together right now. Uh-huh. Uh, Spider Man PS4 is an incredible game. And then our all time favorites are the Batman Arkham games. I mean those games are phenomenal. Okay, okay. And as a big sports fan. 
run through, I guess, college and pro, your favorite teams, your loyalties, for those that may not know. I'm an obnoxious, obnoxious Michigan Wolverine fan. And a guy that I got to know in politics named Jim Heckman runs a massive media company called Maven. And he was one of the original founders of Rivals.com. Okay. And he wanted, he ended up buying Sports Illustrated a couple of years ago. Oh, wow. And he wanted to start a network like what he started at Rivals where each team has its own Rivals.com site. Uh-huh. So he wanted to do that for SI.com. And so he called me up out of the blue one day and said, hey, you should run the Michigan one for me. So I kind of, in the quote unquote spare time that I have, I run the Michigan site for Sports Illustrated. How cool is that? I, called Wolverine Digest. And I've got three employees that work for me on that as well. That's awesome. You know, so I'm a huge, my, in our home, I've got two great rooms in my basement. They're, they're painted maize and blue. Uh-huh. With the actual color template palette number of the of, of that of the official university colors. This man's a fan. Okay. Yeah, my, if you go, if you were to see my my blue room, that's where the movie room is, the mm-hmm. TV room. It's a shrine. Okay, it's a <laughs> Michigan sports or the Red Wings or the Pistons, the Tigers, oh, stuff okay. like that. Oh, see, so Detroit teams then. Yep. Okay, so yep. any of the Detroit teams are yours. Okay, very good. Yeah, we we were. Uh, uh, before we started rolling here, I was complaining about, you know, the Falcons always fail and all this stuff. And then he reminded me, of course, the Lions. One playoff win in uh, how many years of... Uh, we have one playoff win in 61 years, whether you like it or not, brother. Can I, December 28th. Uh, night. Go ahead. You tell me the day and let me try to remember the game, okay? okay. De- we, oh, we beat the, the oh, Dallas Cowboys. Oh, that's I was going to try to remember what it was. Yeah, right? in the 1991 NFC Divisional Playoffs. That's the only playoff win the Detroit Lions have. They won that game 38-6 to in January of 1992. The Lions won the, the, their last NFL championship on December 28, 1957. Just Since that. then, they have one playoff win. It's the all-time futility streak in American team sports. They're a founding franchise of the NFL. Mm-hmm. If you count the NFL when, when Modell moved the Browns to Baltimore... Gave Cleveland an expansion team and the original Browns history and tradition. Okay? So, the Baltimore Ravens are technically a unique franchise. Mm-hmm. And Jim Brown technically didn't play for the Browns that became the Ravens, but the Browns that are then became the Browns again. That's a weird so, if you thing. count those Browns as an original franchise, right. us and the Cleveland Browns are the only two original NFL franchises to never play in a Super Bowl. We also have the longest division title drought. In all of American team sports, the Lions have not won their division since 1993. MLB, NHL, NBA, NFL, no other franchise in any of those sports leagues has a longer division title drought than that. So I don't, I don't care what team all y'all root for. <laughs> I don't want to hear any bitching, all right? <laughs> My team is a country song and the dog just died again. All right, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Tell us about uh, your dog there. Uh, I love the name. Yeah, the Cap is his name. He's a Bichon, and it's short for Captain America. <laughs> I bought it. That, I, it. This is, again, where I've spoiled Zoe. The other kids always wanted a dog. I'm like, I had dogs growing up. I loved them, but I know I'm going to end up being the one taking care of it, and I don't need a part-time job. Until Zoe finally said, Daddy, can I have a dog? And I said, sure, sweetie. And so I bought her a dog for her eighth birthday, and we are a big MCU superhero family. And so all the three kids decided to name the, the dog Captain Cap, short for Captain America. Uh-huh. So 
talk to me about this um, this rivalry between Marvel and DC. You got to speak to that, right? I mean, yeah, I don't get it. First of all, I, I grew up a I, I loved it all growing up, but I was I mean I had you know I I, I wore Super Friends underoos. <laughs> I'd get up at six and seven a.m. to watch Challenge of the Super Friends, which is still in my view the all time greatest cartoon. Other than Batman, the animated series. And He-Man. Uh, okay. Uh, but when you had the Legion of Doom and you had all the supervillains versus all the superheroes uh-huh. and, and Green Lantern was on every week because I love Green Lantern. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I I mean, I loved DC. I love Marvel too, but everything in Marvel is a derivative of DC. For example, Tony Stark. Mm. Okay. Batman's a much older character who is Batman orphaned billionaire with no superpowers who uses his m- money to create tech and give him an advantage over crime uh, over criminals I what see. does tony stark do I see. same thing I see. okay everything everything almost everything you like people think Th- like thanos thanos is a derivative of dark side Mm. There, that, that exact same villain is in the DC is in, is in the DC comics, and he was in DC comics before Thanos was created. Mm. There's there, a lot of Marvel is is a derivative of DC. Wow! But because Marvel's done most people like Marvel movies better, they think that everything Marvel does has been original. But I love it all. Um, but if I could have like you know, if I could have one job other than the one I have right now, it would be Warner Brothers hiring me to be the Kevin Feige of the DC extended universe and to fix that because to this day, the most angry I've ever been walking out of a movie was justice league. I waited my entire life for this movie and they, they just half-assed it. They made it like a generic knockoff Mick movie type and it ruined the DC universe. They almost had to reboot the whole thing afterwards. So if, if, if I could pick any job in America other than what I have now, it would be, I'd like to be put in charge of the DC universe. I love this. Uh, I love your answer to this question where I ask, what's your favorite music genre? And here's what I get. A very eclectic mix. Classic rock, early to mid 90s country, and old school rap are your presets on your uh, Sirius XM. So, I mean, you run the gamut. Yeah, I might have been one of the few kids that went through a vanilla ice phase <laughs> and, a, and a Garth Brooks, Travis Tritt phase at the ex- Exact same time. I, again, I'm I've just I'm just a contrarian, That's you know. Fun. So I mean, I I would my my CD disc changer back in the day. You know, I'd have much too young to feel this damn old, and you know, then it would be followed by Big Daddy Kane. It's a Big Daddy thing, followed by you know some track from Journey's Greatest Hits, Wheel in the Sky, or uh, you know, Separate Ways, or something like that. So that's just. When, when, whenever I used to make mixtapes for friends and stuff, they would be like real mixtapes. Mm-hmm. There'd, there'd be a lot of different, you know, kinds of music and stuff on there. And a lot of people just kind of skip over this question, but you got into some great detail and I appreciate it. The last song you played on repeat, Come Back to Texas by Bowling for Soup. I went and familiarized myself because uh, I, was, I was familiar with the band, but not that song for some reason. And you you explain how you tweeted those lyrics in response uh, to the story about Joe Rogan thinking about coming yeah. to Texas. And then just maybe got me in the mood to listen to that song. That's good. Now, since I sent that to you, yeah. I have a different answer now. Aha! Okay. <laughs> I, I think the best song of the 21st century so far. And now I will admit I'm older now. I'm not into I don't really know a lot of what is. And if I don't find I'm out. the same way. So I can tell you anything you want to know that happened in popular music from about 1965 to 2002. That's right? about where I stopped okay. paying attention. Any, any, I mean, when, when I, 
when my wife and I got married, I had a prodigious music collection. Uh-huh. And like I was I was elitist and stingy about it. Like she liked all the eighties hair metal stuff. Like I wouldn't let her put like poison and stuff on my C D rack. <laughs> I wouldn't let her taint my you know, I, I wouldn't let her put if I got up and like and <laughs> and poison was was on my rack in between the you know, several albums by Foo Fighters, I would lose my poop. No, that cannot happen. <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah. Do you still have all the CDs? No, I sold them all because everything's digital now. See, that's so the I don't need any of that anymore. I've got this the only CDs I have is, is I have I still have my when they did the remastered Led Zeppelin box set in the nineties mm-hmm. where they where they redid the album covers and everything. Yeah, and they put it like in a. Do you remember that gray oh, vault? I've got, I've got it, and it's it came with a T shirt. too. Yes, like that's the, and I even I even got the version that had the massive poster with the lyrics to uh, Stairway to Heaven. Nice, and that poster got ruined, so I don't have oh. it anymore. Oh, no. But that those are that's the only musical CD set I still have is just I love that box set so much so I still have that on my shelf downstairs but cool. everything else is digital now so the only time I know anything past 2002 is when doing stuff with my kids so I used to we used to be a big rock band and guitar hero family and in the winter time man we would play me and the kids would just play this together for hours mm-hmm. and one and, and Disney put out one pop version with modern pop songs and my daughters used to love Taylor Swift when she was country before she went nuts <laughs> And and so one of the songs I didn't even I did not know what a Fallout Boy was, okay. I still don't. And one and I and they I got introduced to one song on that on on the uh, on the pop Disney pop version of of of, rock, of Guitar Hero that I used to play with my kids, uh-huh. and it's called Sugar We're Going Down Swinging. And I was doing some touch up painting at the house last weekend, and I just had my Amazon Music on shuffle. And that song came up. I, you cannot listen to that song only once. I think that could very well be the best song of the 21st century so far. Mama, we're going down. Sugar, we're going sugar, down. Sugar, sugar, we're going down swinging. Yeah. Going down swinging by Fall Out Boy. Yep. All right, I'm going to have to check that out. I'm not familiar. Okay, you have an interesting talent, speaking of music, where you can turn almost anything into a song about your mom. I knew you were going to ask me to do this in real time, yeah, and I don't want to have I, it, I can't. You have like a standby like, um, uh, thing? It's okay. You know I, what? My I, standby is. Okay, because because I, I while well, you think about that, okay, because like I, I used to, like I used to come up with tawdry lyrics <laughs> for you, to the love boat theme about your mom. Okay, okay we can leave it there. All right, <laughs> that 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 was one of that was usually my go to. Okay, <laughs> uh, okay, memory. I think you've already touched on it. Uh, going to Vegas uh, when you were young, when you were you said two years old, right? Yeah, I was almost three when wow. they got married. Okay. Yeah. The other one would be, um, and all I remember is my mom waking me up in the back seat to see the lights on the strip. I don't remember anything else. Okay, that's very cool. The, probably the the most vivid memory was going to see Star Wars for the first time when I was four. Wow! At the River Hills Theater in Des Moines. Very. And cool. just uh, at being enthralled mm-hmm. by it. Yeah. You know, and then when I was five, going to see uh, Superman's my all time favorite. Okay. Superman was often my like masculine hero growing up because I didn't always have the best role model in my dad. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I used to put on a red towel, tuck it into my T-shirt, and go around the neighborhood. I mean, I was the last son of Krypton. I mean, I, <laughs> I I'm obsessed with Superman to this day. That's I can, really to cool. me, the John Williams Superman theme is a psalm. I, I mean, when I when when Noah and I, when he was little, and we used to play Lego superhero games on PlayStation mm-hmm. in the open world, uh, in the open world uh, v- version. I would just play Superman because when you would go around, if, if, if you were Superman and went around flying around the various worlds in the open world, the John Williams Superman theme 
would play the whole time. That's cool. And so Noah would get mad at me because he's over here trying to finish the game and I'm just <laughs> flying around with the John Williams theme. And I remember going to see that when I was five and um really stuck and, and the and when the the logo pops up on the screen mm-hmm. and the music begins. So that's really cool. Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you, Steve? I won't Jesus juke people. That's the obvious answer, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, well, somebody who just passed away would be on the list, actually. A lot of the the credit or blame for the type of show I do, Ravi Zacharias has a lot to do with it. He He helped to equip me to understand what faith and reason both meant. How to... And that, and that helped me to do a show on a broad-based platform about a Christian worldview because that's not an easy nut to crack, right? How do, you, yeah. how do you take a really exclusive truth claim and communicate it in a way that can reach a broad audience? And watching what he did on college campuses and stuff for so many years really helped equip me to do that. Um, he has that unique ability to take a question that's very hostile yes. and turn the questioner yep. into someone who walks away that's very friendly toward him right. and, and just, it's so, it's masterful. And, and, and it helped me to learn how to take a hostile question and turn around to make you more hostile to me. But I appreciated how Ravi Zacharias was nicer than me anyway. <laughs> um, but Dave Whitkey, my sports editor at the Des Moines Register, who wow. gave me my shot. And when Dave retired, I went over and thanked him. Dave retired right when I was leaving the paper to get into sports talk radio full time. And I went over and thanked him. And I said, I don't know where my career is going to go, but whatever it is, I owe you a debt of gratitude. He gave me a shot. And he, always, and he said to me, hey, here's how you're going to repay me. One day when you finally make it, because you will, when you make it, you find other people with talent and ability that are untapped and give them, see if you can give them a shot. And so all, the, all throughout the course of my career, whenever I've had an opportunity to give people shots like that, um, I've always done it. I've helped get several people, I've been blessed to help get several people started in this business. That's great. And so he would be on the list for sure. And then that, you know, over the course of my life, there has been a group of men at different times in my life that God has kind of put in my life to kind of play the role of a surrogate father and stop me from blowing myself up, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, your mom giving you life. And my mom, well, my mom is a no-brainer. And my mom and I grew up together. We're still very close to this day. Um, that's great. So, yeah, that's a no-brainer. Very cool. And, and just for the record, that's who you put number one on this yeah. list. I didn't yeah. just come up with that on my own. And, and I think that's a great, great response. Just, I mean, she's a hero, honestly. It's no hyperbole. She's a hero just giving you life against no doubt. all no of doubt. these odds. Yep. Tell us about that embarrassing time you walked into the women's bathroom. Oh. <laughs> so th- I'm covering a Division One college basketball game. Drake women's basketball is big time in Des Moines. Sure. And they're like one of the best programs in the Missouri Valley Conference. Mm-hmm. They're playing Creighton okay. from Omaha. Yeah. And it's, for the, it's the last day of the regular season. It's for the regular season Missouri Valley Conference championship. Okay. And I get to, I'm covering the game for the newspaper. And we're sitting on press row, man, and I have been, I ate way too much in the press room and I, I, I got to clear some space if you know what I'm saying. I got I got to use the restroom. <laughs> and so I'm trying to figure out, you know, I, I, if I wait to halftime to go, it's going to be way too long of a line. I won't get in there. And, and, I'll, and, and if when I finally do, I'm going to miss the first five, six, seven minutes of the second half. So the two teams were basically trading timeouts at the end of the half. And I'm like, if I miss just a couple baskets, 
here in the first half won't make a difference. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go right now and beat the rush. So I dart out of there and to run into the bathroom. I'd never covered a game at Drake before. And so I just darted out of there and without even thinking about it, ran into the very first bathroom oh. right as I turned the corner. You know, by this time, it's one of those things like when you think you, can, you, you can't go for like a half an hour, you can hold it. But like when they say the rest stop is next exit, suddenly you feel like you're going to pee your pants kind of thing. You know what I'm uh-huh. saying? And so I'd been holding it for quite a while, but now that the, I'm close to going to the bathroom, I cannot hold it much longer. The, the turtle <laughs> head is coming. I've got to go. Okay. <laughs> okay. And um, so I'm darting in there and I remember thinking to myself quickly, why aren't there any urinals in here? But, I, but at this point, nature is calling. I have to go. <laughs> Were there lovely pastels as well? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I, I go to sit down and I'm like, this is a really tight squeeze in here. And what is this other shelf? No. And this other thing oh, on this no. shelf over here. And why is it like jammed into my thigh? Okay. <laughs> and, but again, I've just got to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Okay. Oh, no. And so finally, I'm, 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 I'm finishing up. <laughs> And I can hear a large commotion, so it's clearly halftime. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to get back before half started. I, I beat the system, right? Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? I beat the crowd. And just to be clear, this is a bathroom with like a, a lot of stuff. Yes. Okay, yes. it's not just a solo. Yes, okay. yes, yes. <laughs> and, I'm, and then I notice every voice I hear outside my door is female. <laughs> and then I look, I look back at this thing on the shelf to my right, <laughs> jammed into my thigh. And I realize it's a tampon bin. No, no. And then I, then I start doing the math backwards and realize now I know why there were no urinals in here. See, now nowadays, I could just burst out of there and say, I, don't assume my gender, ladies, and wash up and no one says anything. I was about anything. to say, you were ahead yeah. of your time. Yes. <laughs> now, but back in 1999, I could not do no, that. No. All right. So I'm like, I, don't, I froze. I don't know what to do. So what, the only thing I thought of to do was don't speak don't say a word don't breathe all right because everything's going to sound masculine and i'm going to f- i'm going to get arrested i don't think i'm some kind of peeper just to be okay. clear your hair isn't long there's nothing no, right no no, okay. no i pretty much had the same haircut since uh-huh. i was eighth grade did you have a hat on that, something you could no pull down? no but then I, re- I look down and i'm wearing my dress shoes okay. and i wear size 12s Ooh. not too many women no. wearing a size 12 so i'm like t- trying to figure out how to Tuck my feet closer to the toilet so no one can see my shoes as they walk by and think, what kind of chick has feet like that, <laughs> right? And I just decide I'm just going to hunker down here and be silent. And I'm just going to have to wait till halftime ends uh-huh. and wait for the game to begin. So I still ended up missing the first five oh, or six boy. minutes of the second half because <laughs> I had to be absolutely certain the room had emptied out. Right. Right? And, and um, that's one of the... Dumbest moves yeah. and scariest moments of my life. So yeah. you were successful of getting out of there I did undetected? get out of there. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Good for you, Never man. got caught. Yeah. That is so great. Yep. What would you like to accomplish uh, in your lifetime that you haven't been able to yet? I mentioned I'd like to run the DCU. Mm-hmm. If I had a, a goal for the job I have now is, you know what? Go big or go home. Um, Rush's... Rush Limbaugh's success blazed a trail. There's no Glenn Beck. There's no Mark Levin. There's no Sean Hannity without Rush. Completely agree. And then you go further down the food chain, you know, there's no Steve Dace. There's no Pat Gray. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's no Keith Malinek. There, mm-hmm. there, there's no, none of us have these jobs I've without Rush's success. I've been listening to him since I was 14 years old. Absolutely. And, and his success, every program director in every major market said, I got to get, get a local guy. I got to do what Rush does. Mm-hmm. I would like to have one day be successful enough with a biblical worldview 
that we can do a contemporary show. It it doesn't it can be principled without being hung up on religiosity. Mm-hmm. It can be compelling and convicting without being judgmental. I would like to be I'd like to a- achieve a, a certain level of success cracking the code here. That eventually that maybe one day the success our show has convinces just like it did decades ago made every program director think I've got to find a local conservative is if, is if we could is, is if people could say decades from now hey I'd like to find a a local guy that can fuse faith and and current events and you know one of the ways I got started in this nationally is when I left my job at WHO to try and go national I got a call out of the blue one day from a guy named Stu Epperson Jr., whose dad is the founder and chairman of Salem Broadcasting, one of the biggest radio companies in the country. And that's Dennis Prager, Michael Medved, and that's their network. Right. Okay. And he called me out of the blue and said, hey, my dad and I are looking for someone that can do on evangelical radio stations what Glenn Beck is doing at Premier. Somebody that can do a fusion of faith with current events. But from an explicitly evangelical viewpoint, because that's that's the kinds of radio stations we own around the country. Mm-hmm. And I've been listening a, a mutual friend uh, or a friend of mine who heard you coming to Iowa for I, for the caucuses in the past told me that you're the guy I'm looking for. And I, so I started listening to your stuff. And you and you think I think you might be, but I don't know. Is your show a Christian show or a conservative show? Hmm. And I said to Stu, "Is it a good show?" And he said. Yeah, I said then it then it doesn't matter. Any any other label doesn't matter than other than if it's good. And if if you're if you're a believer listening to this and you want to get into this or any other business and you see that we're in a post-Christian era and you see that previous generations you got you almost got a Christian privilege for being associated with the church in this culture mm-hmm. and now you get an aura of suspicion. It it's gone the other way. Mm-hmm. The way the antidote to that. There there is no perfect Cure, outside of American history, the church has often been marginalized in cultures throughout history. Mm-hmm. And yet, many of those cultures are gone and the church remains. I mean, I think it was Rousseau who was adamant that he would live to see the Bible become extinct. And then when he died, the French chapter of the Geneva Bible Society, they bought his home and they've been printing Bibles out of it ever <laughs> since. Okay? So... One antidote to it, though, is to be excellent at what, you're, at w- at what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Work harder than everybody else. Right. Hone the craftsmanship of what you want, whether it's writing, broadcasting, fixing vehicles, roofing a house. But uh, what, what you're going to find is if, that if, if, if you can perform a service that people want and think they need and that they think can help them be profitable— right. they're over, that, your, ex, your excellence will transcend some of those differences. You know, and um, an old friend of mine who used to run the Iowa, Nebraska, NAACP, and him and I used to work on a lot of cross-racial political issues in Iowa, where black and white churchgoers probably wouldn't vote for the same candidate, but we would agree on an issue so we could work on this issue together. Mm -hmm. And he once told me about how when he was younger, if he showed up at a white girl's house and asked and said and said to her dad, hey, I'm here to take her to her prom. And her dad would be like, hell no, you're not. But if her little brother had a picture of Dr. J on the wall in full, in full Afro, her dad was totally cool with it. Mm. And, and he was a clean cut military veteran. And he's like, I never, I couldn't figure out why I can't take your daughter to prom, but your son 
could 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 aspire to grow up to be like the guy sporting the giant afro with the black power fist. Mm. And he realized it's because he didn't see Dr. J as black. He saw him as a great basketball player and those and the excellence that Dr. J brought to the table mm-hmm. transcended those differences. And so I what I what I'm hoping is that we can do a good enough show that it can be successful enough that people will see there's a market for this content and that there there's other talent out there that can do this very good as well. And you talked about being heard, um, it was uh, Stu... Uh, Epperson Jr. Okay, so so you were talking about how Stu Epperson Jr. heard you. I guess we've missed how you initially got into radio to yeah. begin with. How did that happen, the leap from sports writer to radio? We had a the guy who started the first sports talk radio station in town, and I was a religious listener to it. And because I was a listener to it, my sports editor assigned me to doing a feature on the station and you know are they going to be successful and so i hung out with them for about a week got to know that guy fairly well and we would get into big sports debates and stuff and he could see that i could communicate a little bit Mm -hmm. and a few months later he had an opening on one of his like weekly weekend review shows and he called me up uh, or his producer called me up one of the out out of the blue and his name was the guy, the owner of the station was Marty. He said, hey, Marty wants to know if you want to be the new guy on their Monday sports huddle weekend, review, weekend interview thing. And I said, are you guys paying me? And they said, yeah. And I said, <laughs> all right, I'll be there. And that's how I got started. And Keith, I will tell you, every job I've ever had in this industry has literally just been given to me. I could go down the litany of all of them. Someone called me out of the blue and just offered me a job. Only one time have I tried to get a radio job. One and early in my sports talk radio career, I met a guy named Dave Revson, who's now at the Big Ten Network. And we were the ESPN affiliate in town. And he was ESPN Radio's college football guy. And so one of the things ESPN will do is, is make their national talent available regular to their affiliates. And so he would come on my show once a week and talk Big Ten football. And one day after the show, uh, he sent me a note and said, hey, call me. So I called him up and he said, Steve, how long have you been doing this? And I said, a year. He goes, brother, I went from Dubuque to ESPN. Okay? You don't typically get to make a, uh, you had to usually take a jump a couple steps before that. Uh-huh. Because you could make that step. You're, you're way too good for where you're at. Wow. He said, let me, let me hook you up with my agent. Come up with your best stuff. I'll hook you up with my agent and you're going to go places. So I got hooked up with Dave Revson, who's now, he's now the lead anchor at the Big Ten Network. I got hooked up with his agent and I sent him my stuff. And for two weeks, his agent didn't call me back. And I finally got up the nerve to call his agent and said, hey, what's up? And he told me I wasn't good enough. Mm. And that I probably would not be good enough. And I don't have it, is what he told me. And that, you know, I should probably be content with just, you know, I'm good enough for local and I have a good local show. But I should just be, he wasn't mean about it. Right. You know? I should just be content with being a local radio guy. And... At that point, I wanted my goal was to then get out of Des Moines and go back home to Michigan. And I wanted to work for the Big Clear Channel sports talk station in Detroit. And so I started sending the guy, um, Greg something was his name, who was the program director, Greg Henson. I, every day for a week, I called long distance the, the Pizza Hut in Detroit next to the station. And I ordered a pizza to be delivered at his house. One of my buddies at the station said he got a job once this way. And so I tried this with this station. (laughs) I had a pizza delivered at lunchtime after his show every day 
for a week and I had his name with two G's spelled out. I, I asked it, the pepperoni to spell out his name to try to get his attention to listen to my stuff. Funny. Finally, after a few days of this, he finally agreed to listen to my stuff. He also told me I would not be good enough to be in a market of that size. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm bitter. I have followed his career a little bit mm. and he's bounced around to a lot of different jobs. I am no longer in local radio. So nothing personal against Greg. Mm. I appreciate the added extra motivation though. Yeah, sure. But every other job I've had, Keith, someone called me out of the blue. I mean, here, I came to Conservative View. Daniel Horowitz called me out That's of the blue. I was going to ask you, how did you get from sports into news talk? I got to news talk because my sports show in, in Des Moines was very popular, but now I had a spiritual conversion and I just wanted to talk about broader topics. Mm. WHO is a historic radio station. It's won a ton of awards. Sure. But they've they've had a they had a hole in afternoon drive for like fifteen years, and so Van Harden, who's their program director, that's won like fifty Marconi awards. Um, he finally decided that I would be the one to save the afternoon drive time slot. And when I told them I wanted to move, I wanted to get beyond sports, they put me in afternoon drive on WHO, and I and I got that job because I worked for the Iowa Cubs and and they owned a radio station and it closed down and Van Harden called me out of the blue one day and said. You want to come over here and work at Claire Channel? Every job I've had, someone called me out of the blue. I didn't know there was a Stu Eppers. I'd heard of his dad working in radio, mm -hmm. but I didn't know there was a junior until he called me. Wow. I got started at Conservative Review because Daniel Horowitz called me up and said, hey, I've been following your activism and know your work. I'm putting together a team of people. We got this guy, Gaston Mooney, who used to work on Capitol Hill, and Amanda <laughs> Carpenter, who used to work for Ted Cruz, and um, uh, Joe Koss, and some of the other names. He goes, well, we don't, we're looking to put together, we've got this wealthy guy who wants to put together a killer conservative site to really hold the Republican Party accountable. And we, all of us have our area of expertise, but we don't have a conservative media person. Okay, and we, what do you think about joining our team as that guy? That's how I got into Conservative Review. And then I got over here because one day Gaston called me up and said, hey, what do you think about switching your show from Conservative Review to The Blaze? Literally every job I've had, someone has just called me and offered it out of the blue. So do you have any regrets along the way that you'd care to share? I'm not big on regrets in general because like I quoted from Joseph earlier and my favorite Bible verses, Romans eight twenty eight. all things work together for the glory of God and for those called according to his purposes. So I, I can even see how God has redeemed huge mistakes I have made. I can see how the stuff that was done to me as a kid, God redeemed that by using that to toughen me, give me the metal it takes to do what I do now. I always, I often say, Keith, if I had grown up in a good home, there's no way I could do the show that I do today. Hmm. I I I would be too desirable of getting along with people and finding a way to be make peace, mm -hmm. you know. What I'm, and but I didn't grow up in a good home, so I'm 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 equipped to do this. But if I do have one thing, I would be lying if I said I have not rethought. It's, I mean, Donald Trump pursued me for two years, trying to getting ready to run for president, and he was on my show quite a bit. I met with him several times. And I kept telling national media people in New York and D.C. who thought he was a novelty act and wasn't going to run. I'm like, guys, I've been wooed by a lot of these candidates. I, I can tell when they're serious. Like Bobby Jindal, I knew he was going to run because he called me four years earlier and offered me to go and sit in his box at the Lions-Saints playoff game at, at the Superdome. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that was and that was before we had right before we had the 2012 Iowa caucuses. That's how I knew he was going to run in 2016. He was getting a marker in early. Wow. Okay. Um, I, I, Donald Trump's not w wasting his time on a schlep in Des Moines, Iowa, 
unless he's first of all to, to know that I am someone who can help him meant that he had to really do his homework because I'm not like on Fox News every day right right so that right away tells you that he's, he's somewhat serious that his people have met with me about who to hire for their staff and I gave them two names and they hired both of those people the guy that ran I his Iowa caucus campaign Chuck Laudner I'm the one that recommended to, to his original campaign manager, Sam Numberg at a Ruth Chris Steakhouse in Manhattan. <laughs> I'm the one that gave them the name Chuck Laudner, and they ended up hiring him. So I knew he was serious about running all along. And I was very close to signing up with that. I never asked what the job would pay because I knew that once I was told the amount or told, it, what do you think it pays? You're a guy, man. We have two nerve centers in our bodies. And if... Once I found out that this was probably going to be a life-changing amount of money, the northern hemisphere would begin to shut down, and the southern hemisphere nerve center would begin, the ego would take over and say, dude, you can't say no to that. Mm -hmm. I was going to say yes to him. I think I know the story. Yeah, I was was backstage at an event. Mm -hmm. I was co-hosting with Frank Luntz from Fox News on C-SPAN, where all the candidates were in. He was there to close me that day. And I'm right backstage when he's, that's where he said he went off on McCain as a John POW. McCain. And, yep. and I hate John McCain, the politician. Sure. And, I, and I, I mean, biblical loathe John mm-hmm. McCain. But there's John McCain, the politician, and then there's a guy that spent five years in the Hanoi Hilton. And my wife's in a military family. Her dad was the 101st Airborne. And I just couldn't reconcile that, you know? And then, then when he said that he's never asked God for forgiveness because he doesn't think he's done anything wrong. <laughs> And I'm sitting back there with Ben and Candy Carson, and they're convinced that he's toast after this. And so am I. He starts walking backstage, and he notices me, and I, I fear that he's going to ask me, man, I think I really screwed the pooch out there. How do I fix it? And I, I was going to tell him, I don't think you can fix this. You should drop out before it like starts hurting your business interests. Huh. So I ejected. We never had that meeting. I just, I just left. And um, the morning after he won... I would lie. I'd be lying if I said I didn't reconsider whether I made the right decision. Mm-hmm. And after he became the presumptive nominee, uh, he had a bunch of uh, conservative and Christian leaders out to Trump Tower for a meeting that were because Cruz basically owned had all the evangelical conservative organization leaders on his team. And so when Cruz dropped out, he invited all of the Cruz infrastructure to come and meet with him at. Trump Tower to try to unify now to go after Hillary Clinton. And I was invited to go. I did not go. Mm. And then he went to a, uh, he told a mutual friend of ours that he will grant, he'll, he wants to meet with me individually. He really wants me on the team. Wow. He'll meet with me individually. What, it, what, what, what will it take? And for me, it's not going to be money. Mm-hmm. For me, it's going to be, can I help shape policy? Can I? Very tempting. Yeah, that's what I'm interested in. Yeah. Okay, and I knew that he would offer that to me, and I knew if he offered that to me, I would not be able to say no. Yeah. And so, I d- I did not go because I recognized early on Donald Trump is better at this game. I'm pretty good at this game. That's why I'm where I'm at. I'm not as good as he is at. He's better at this than me. And if I go out there, I'm gonna I'm gonna lose my resolve, and he's gonna sell me. And I thought that that was the right decision the entire time. I have doubted it in, in the last couple of years. Hmm. He's turned out to be, a, I, he, I, he frustrates me greatly yeah. often. If I never look at his Twitter account, okay? And if I don't, if I don't, and if I don't watch any of his rallies, so if I never watch a rally 
and I don't read his Twitter account, and I just look at the governing decisions that are made, okay? <laughs> if I just do that, he's turned out to be a much better president than I ever thought he was going to be. And I have regretted, if I have a regret, it is maybe I should have taken that offer to have that individual meeting mm. and gone ahead and done it. And this goes back to an earlier part of our conversation about making decisions along the way. Where would you be? Right, right. Yeah. And if I had done that, I wouldn't be here right now. I mean, it's weird. Um, I, I mean, Kaylee McEnany is now the White House press secretary. Mm-hmm. I mean, her and I went, sore, I mean, we clashed swords hard on CNN one day because mm. I was on there for the cruise campaign and she was on there for the CNN campaign. I mean, it got pretty, it got pretty nasty. Hogan Gidley, who's the deputy communications director, Hogan has been a good friend of mine for over a decade. I mean, I know several people that are working in the White House. Right. If that's the closest thing I probably have to a regret is maybe I should have, maybe I should have taken him up on it. Understood. I love your idea of someday having access to kind of a Madden cruiser. Yeah. To to tour yeah. the country to college foot, almost like a college game day. Like you pick the yep. cities, huh? When I, I there was a, there was a book when I was a kid called Big Ten Country, and a sports writer went to a football game at every Big Ten stadium for a whole season and wrote about what the tailgating was like, the fan bases were like, what the, the campuses were like, what, what, he, you know, what the game atmosphere was. It's a great read. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I used to watch John Madden with his Madden Cruiser. I thought that was just so cool. <laughs> I'd love the idea of having a, either a Madden Cruiser or a, or a private plane version of a Madden Cruiser. Oh, there you yeah. go. And, now you're talking. And just for one season, I just pick... I do, I've, I do my own college football preview for fun every year. I've done it since I was in the 10th grade. Yeah. And one of the things I put in there is my dream every week, if I could go to one game every week in the upcoming season, where would I go? I'd love to have a Madden kind of cruiser. <laughs> and I could just do my show during the week while we're traveling to the site, you know, with That's today's cool. technology. Yeah. And every Saturday, I just, I'm, I'm at the big game that weekend all over the country and sitting in a skybox and... That would be, you know, that's, yeah, that's, that's like my, that's my all-time dream. That probably. sounds great. Tell me, you want to make a scary but spiritually provoking horror film someday. Um, that sounds interesting. I think that day is coming quickly. All right. Um, my 2016 book, A Nefarious Plot, uh, before we had the merger between CRTV and The Blaze, mm-hmm. uh, Glenn actually called me up out of the blue one day and said, a friend of mine gave me your book. And, dude, this is C.S. Lewis good. And I want to have you on my show to talk about it. Well, I'm glad he said it because it's modeled after C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. Wow. And, I, and I, I wrote a book called A Nefarious Plot about a demon general from hell named Lord Nefarious. And I, I wanted to take C.S. Lewis's idea of a Screwtape Letters, the tempting of one person. What if we extrapolated that out to an entire culture? What if the goal is to take down a nation? And, and so Lord, the character I created, Lord Nefarious, he was tasked by the devil with the taking down of America. And to prove that he has, his plan has been successful, and, it, and, it's, and it's irreversible now, he is going to spike the football by writing it all down in a book, connecting every dot, how he did it, who he did it through and with, mm. naming names. And he's going to put it right in our face, dare us to do something about it, and then when we think it's hokey, we ignore it, it's conspiracy theory, that's how he'll have convinced his master, the devil, that his plan was successful. Yeah. And that's what the book is. Very cool. 
And I don't know how, I, to this day, I don't know how Glenn got the book, actually. Mm. Uh, and, but somebody gave it to him and he read it. And he said he was blown away by it. He had me on his show. The book came out in March. I launched it at CPAC in March of 2016. He called me in September of 2016. So this was six, and six mm-hmm. months later. He has me on. The, the, the book sells out everywhere. Nice. And what, that day on the radio, a guy named Chris Jones was listening to the show. And he worked for a film production company called Believe Entertainment. And they had done God's Not Dead, the first game, or first movie, and God's Not Dead 2. And they were, they were looking. These guys came, the guys that, uh, that, that are in this company, Carrie um, Solomon and Chuck Consulman, came from mainstream Hollywood. And then decided they wanted to do Christian content. But their background is in mainstream work. Mm-hmm. And they always wanted to do like a... Like from this, like the seventy style Christian horror film, meaning like The Omen or The Exorcist, where it's really based on Christian spiritual themes, but also frightening. Yeah, but it, but it literally is meant to scare you away from these things, not like into them, right? Wow. And they were looking for something that had the subject matter to do it. And Chris was listening to Glenn's show that day; just happened to be listening. Picked up a copy of the book himself that very day. Read it in a weekend took it into the office that Monday and said, guys, I found it. This uh-huh. is the story we're going to do. Very cool. And I got a week later, I, I'm, my wife is on a retreat. I have the kids by myself and they're in bed and I'm playing Madden, you know, winding down <laughs> and an email pops up on my phone from some guy named Carrie Solomon. Hey, we want to buy the film rights to your book. And I'm thinking this is some kind of scam, <laughs> spam. This is the Nigerian embassy, right? <laughs> so I delete the email and just go back to playing my game. Bro. About an hour later, something says to me, just in case. Yeah. So I go back into my trash folder and I get the guy's name and I start Googling it. And I'm like, well, first of all, this is actually a real, real name. <laughs> now, it might not be the real person, but this is the real name. And so I decide to respond back and then... They ultimately bought the film rights. They did Abby Johnson's book, Unplanned, first. Uh-huh. Yeah. And we're getting ready to begin, I believe we're getting ready to begin production on a nefarious plot exciting. now very soon. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. Well, um, I, I, please, please keep us updated on this because I am. I want to see this thing, man. I want to see it come to the big screen and, uh, and, and thank goodness that there is a trash folder on the inbox, right? Okay. <laughs> yes, yes. If people would like to check you out on social media, well, first of all, his show, the Steve Dace Program, is available on Blaze TV. It's also in podcast form. Please check it out. It is so thought-provoking. I really enjoy your work. And Thank you. Absolutely. And like I said, I like Angry Steve. Uh, and <laughs> like you said, there's been a lot of that lately. And where can people find you on social media? At Steve Dace Show is the Twitter. Mm-hmm. At Steve Dace Show or Facebook.com slash Steve Dace. D-E-A-C-E. Thank you. Yes. D-E-A-C-E. Steve Dace, thank you so much for making time. I really appreciate hey, this, it. This was like a This Is Your Life blast, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, next don't, time don't, you're in town, we'll lady, do it again. <laughs> the, Women know, don't ever ask a guy to start get talking about himself. He'll never stop. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Steve. Take care. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Look for At The Mic Show on Twitter to connect. 